Hi everyone, I'm Punilia Chia and you are listening to the Singapore Noodles podcast, your go-to destination to learn about Singaporean food. My guest today is Basanti Pillay, who is the founder and president of the Ayurveda Association of Singapore. In this conversation, she shares with me about the link between food and Ayurveda and what the Western world has misunderstood when it comes to health and wellness. I feel that a lot of Singaporeans, we know about Ayurveda, but we don't really know um, about how it's linked to Singaporean food or like, you know, Indian cooking in general, mm, or mm. how it's incorporated into our lives, you know. So I'm very curious about how your relationship with Ayurveda began. I mean, was it something that uh, you learned from your mom or your grandmother? So uh, my family, I'm the only one who's into Ayurveda as in per se. My mother and grandmother, like whenever you have any issues, you're not well or anything, they'll just go to the kitchen and cook up something. So I didn't know at that point in time that is actually uh, Ayurveda. So you call that folk medicine because it's uh, transmitted down from grandparents to grandmother to like that, just like uh, tradition. So that's called the traditional medicine. But when there's a structured format, like you see the books behind, right? These are the classical texts of Ayurveda. So there's a classical textbook where they have mentioned all these medicinal properties and herbs. So what happened was um, I used to suffer a lot from gastric pain. And when I was 15, I remember my father would take me back and forth to SGH. And every now and then and they, I'll get some kind of medicine, it'll never work. One day my grandmother was in and then she goes, oh, I see you're suffering. You know, then she asked me what was my condition. I told her she went to make a porridge, ma'am. I can tell you that was it, poof, just like that, the pain was gone. I wish I'd gotten the recipe though, <laughs> but I was shocked and I was thinking, here is this woman who's not educated, I've been going for weeks to the hospital and this woman just did something, a kind of a porridge and my pain just disappeared. And what is it that she knew that nobody else knew? <laughs> and she was a very simple washerwoman. So that was the first thing that intrigued. Like mother would always do, <clears throat> okay, you've got this problem, that problem, she would always do things for us, but never really clicked until my grandmother did this. Then um, I then uh, my, my life journey took me to a place where I was at a crossroad and I went to India to learn yoga. And that's where first I came across Ayurveda. So I wasn't very sure what it was, but I was intrigued by it. And when I came to Singapore, there was a course, I attended the course. And then during that course, I learned that there's actually surgery in Ayurveda. Surgery started with Ayurveda. So if you look at the current rhino surgery, you know, the nose plastering, that started with Ayurveda. And there's an entire text on how to do surgical procedures and the authentic way, the traditional way. And I was like, oh my God, this is a fascinating science. And I told all my classmates, I have to go out telling the whole world about this. There's something really interesting and intriguing about it. So we started the Ayurveda Association of Singapore. And my friends to date, we have all become the committee members. And we've been promoting Ayurveda since then, since 2000, uh, 2009. As you were talking about it, I think you mentioned how when you were growing up, it was so intertwined with food, right? That you didn't even recognize it as medicine. And do you feel that this experience of um, food being medicine is common throughout Singaporean Indian households? Um, many of them, that not the new younger generation, but the older generation, that means from my mother, my grandmother. Anytime you say you have an issue, they will say, okay, um, 
fever, yeah, take rasam. So they will do something, a soup. And even with the Chinese, I go to Taiwan regularly to, to train people in Ayurveda nutrition. And I see that a lot of them, when, when I give talks, the elderly people who attend my talks, they seem to know the principles. It's the younger generation that's not aware. But say from my mother, my grandmother, they were aware that food is medicine. Mm. Though they never, they never explicitly said it, but you've got fever here, let me do something for you. You've got earache, let me do something for you. You've got that problem, let me do something for you. So it is a part and parcel of food is medicine um, from that. But now, I don't think people know it as much as the grandparents and parents used to do. Mm. So when I was reading online about Ayurveda, I saw that, you know, there were some principles and philosophies that govern it. And it really reminded me of Chinese TCM, where, you know, the body is made up of, you know, different kinds of elements. Um, so would you, I mean, so how does that really translate into food? Um, I was looking online and there were some uh, websites that talked about Ayurvedic recipes, like Ayurvedic bone broth. Um, so what does that mean? Is it a particular uh, combination of ingredients? From an Ayurveda standpoint, everything in the universe is medicinal. Okay, so you either consume it or you apply it, internal or external. So many people call it Ayurvedic mainly for um, commercial purposes. Every food is Ayurvedic if you go by the principles of it. So just like you mentioned TCM, in Ayurveda also we have five principles. You just have to understand the principle and then you apply it to your current setting. So in Ayurveda, you have the principles of um, we are part and parcel of cosmos. We are cosmos. Whatever is out there in the universe is in me. For example, there's space in the universe, there's space in me, like the nose socket, the space here, the gut, all these are space in my body and their space in the universe. So the next state is called the air. The universe has movement through air, we have movement through eyelids, the heartbeat, uh, peristaltic movement, right? So then the next one comes what they call fire, heat. Heat transforms in the universe. In our body, heat transforms. Whatever I eat, get transformed into the body tissues, right? So if I eat banana, when I go toilet, banana doesn't come out. Right? It is transformed into body tissues. So that transformation capacity is what Ayurveda is focused on. So once it gets transformed, it becomes liquid in our body, like all that mucus, uh, the water, all these are then the, the fourth state, we call it. And the fifth one, just like Chinese, you have the five states. I don't like to call it elements. I'll tell you why. And the fifth state is what you call the final, the, the, the gross. So this body, they call it earth. Like in TCM, you have metal, water, earth, those, right? We also have, so it's called space, air, fire, water, and earth. Now, the English word doesn't really explain clearly what it's meant to be. Because when we use the word elements, we think of chemistry elements. Mm. And I was listening to one lecture from a Massachusetts uh, lecturer, and he was criticizing TCM, saying that they only have five elements when modern science has gone up to 114. So then I realized it's not his fault because the word element is limiting. It is not element. It is supposed to be a state, a feature. So space is not an element. It's a state. All of us have space in our body. So if the space is blocked, then the nutrition doesn't go through that space. 
Hmm. Do you understand? So if a person has constipation, then the Ayurveda physician will say, okay, the space is blocked. The ah. bowel movement is not happening. Yeah, I think that's a good way to understand it. Yeah, or if a person has uh, Parkinson's, then you say the movement is going off balance. Hmm. Because that's the next step, space, movement. Then the Agni is the fire. Fire is not the real fire, but the transformation capacity. So these are what Ayurveda basic principles. And from these principles come all the human body and the food. The food also has all these five states. Now for the purpose of this podcast, I would call it elements, but we know it's not elements in a chemistry element, all right? Because everybody in the books, all it's written as elements. So this food also has these five. The human body has these five and the universe has these five. So what I eat must balance the, the five states, must balance with the five states in my body. So for example, if I have too much fire in my body or my body constitution, you call it prakriti. If my body constitution is such that by nature I have a lot of fire, then I should not be consuming food that already has a lot of fire like garlic, ginger. This already has fire. My body also has a lot of fire. So when I consume a lot of heaty or fiery food, then the fire in me will go up. Mm. Then I will have, say, all the fire-related problems like skin problems, heatiness, gastritis, all these are fire-related problems. Mm. So that's how food is seen in terms of Ayurveda. So it's never a one solution fits all from a Western, like the way you asked the question, the Western perspective. Everybody takes this. No, Ayurveda is not like that. Mm. What works for you may not work for me. Mm. So, you know, you talked about the differences between how you felt with, um, you know, your foray into Western medicine, trying to cure yourself and your grandma with her porridge. Um, so what do you think is the place of Western medicine in that case? Okay, I would say, given the current situation, you need to integrate both. Mm. Ayurveda looks at the cause of the disease. Mm. And Ayurveda says there are six stages of disease. Mm. The first four stages, the Vata, Pitta, Kapha, which is invisible, you can't see it. Mm. It's more, um, I, won't like, I don't like to use the word energy or force, but it is invisible existing within us, just like yin and yang. Mm. Yeah. It exists, you can't see it with a microscope or an x-ray. Mm. But you know it exists. Likewise, the first four stages, it is an imbalance in the body. At the fifth stage, we go to the doctor because it has a manifested in my body as a disease. Yeah. That's when we go to an allopathic doctor, a conventional doctor. But before that, at the first four stage, if you can feel an imbalance, you know something is not right. You go to the doctors. Many times people say, hey, they go to the doctors. Doctor do all the tests. Eventually, you get a large bill that says, you know, all the test bills, but the result is nothing. They don't know what is wrong with you. Mm. From an Ayurveda perspective, they can tell what is wrong with you. Mm. There was an imbalance. You can correct the imbalance with diet and lifestyle. But once it manifests, maybe to reduce the pain, you take for a while whatever medication you need. But go to the root cause of the problem to solve that problem permanently. Mm. Do you understand? So if, if somebody meets with an accident, you of course have to go to a Western doctor. Mm. If you have throbbing headache, you cannot bear the pain. Yes, go take the Panadol. But ask yourself, why are you getting this headache? Mm. Is this headache something that's recurrent? If it's recurrent, then it's a, there's a cause for it. 
Ayurveda say go to the root cause, manage the root cause, solve it, the headache will not happen. So that's how I look at it. Yes, take Western medicine if you need to, but don't negate the fact that you need actually to balance that internal movement in your body, the vata, pitta, kapha, so that the disease doesn't manifest. Mm, great answer. I feel that that's very, very clear. Um, I think previously you mentioned commercialization of the concept of Ayurveda, especially in the West, you know, we see so many things like Moringa pills, like um, turmeric lattes, things like that. So I was wondering what your perspective on it is. Like, do you feel that it's a good thing that um, Ayurveda is getting more awareness or do you feel that it's cultural appropriation in some, in some way? I won't say it's cultural um, appropriation, but Ayurveda getting awareness is good. But the Western media or, you know, people, they have a way of repackaging our culture and selling it back to us. So firstly, I would say that we as Asian must be more aware of our own food and lifestyle and embrace that. Like yoga, yoga comes from India, it was taken to the West, it was repackaged and sold it back, right? And now everyone is asking for yoga, that's RYT Alliance, which is from the West. I, mean, I conduct yoga teacher training program and I say, I'm very clear mine is not RYT because that's totally uh, misunderstood. The word I would use is bastardized. Yoga has been bastardized from the West and you're not learning the correct. So. Let me ask you, what is your understanding of yoga? My understanding of yoga is um, it's, it's focusing a lot on breathing, a lot of breathe, breathing coupled with movement, a lot of stretching, a lot of focus on flexibility. You know, most of the time it's pretty slow paced. Uh, that is my understanding of it. Which is not wrong because that's what it's being promoted as. Actually, mm. yoga means union, the union of the mind, body, and your true self. When there's an alignment, then you become, you, you get in touch with your true potential. But because we are so external, we don't get in, aligned with it. And asana, the posture, is people are, are using the word posture with yoga. It is not true. Asana is your postures. And using the posture as a tool to manage the mind. So when you say breathing, the focus is all about the mind. Yoga is all about managing the mind, mastering the mind. But you're using the posture to master the mind. You're using breath to master the mind. You're using concentration to master the mind. So that is what yoga is about. The same thing is now happening to Ayurveda. It's becoming a reductionist approach. So yoga has an eight step. The whole process of yoga is to achieve that union, the alignment of mind, body, and the true self. People call it soul in the West. It's not soul. Because soul needs a mate. I'm looking for my soul mate. In Ayurveda, the soul doesn't need a mate. Soul is very happy being by itself. <laughs> so, so that's why I don't like you can say consciousness, all right, your true self. Mm. So they have totally now brought Ayurveda yoga as only posture, like you say, like what you have explained. Ayurveda is not that. Now Ayurveda is all taking the reduction, it's just taking small, you know, latte, turmeric, pills. It's not that. Even Ayurveda say food is medicine, medicine is food. When I take turmeric on a regular basis, it will cause more damage to my body than something good. Wow. Exactly. 
and how it is combined and processed plays a very important role. So if I take turmeric every day in my cooking, for example, so this is where the principle of food is medicine comes along. If I take turmeric, one teaspoon of turmeric, and I cook for a family of four, I can consume that on a daily basis because it's, it's all processed with the oil. Essence is taken through the oil and with all the other ingredients, it's processed. But if I have a sore throat, I can mix turmeric powder with honey and consume it to uh, relieve myself of sore throat, provided it's a mucousy sore throat. Because turmeric is antibacterial, antiviral, anti-cancerous, you know, all the anti it is. But I cannot take it on a regular basis because it's very heaty. If I continue taking it for a long time, it creates more heat and creates dryness in my body, which then leads to problems. So the first example I gave is food is medicine. Mm. Sorry, medicine is food. The second one, you use turmeric as medicine, but you must stop after a certain period of time. Mm. And if I am, for example, heaty body type, like what they have in, in Chinese medicine, if by nature my body type is heaty, I, maybe the turmeric and, and honey formula may not work for me because it's going to create further heat. Maybe I may have to use turmeric with milk. Yeah. Because then that heatiness balances off. So it is always customized. So the West right now is promoting all these pills and all, and people are also drinking it and eating it, which is very, very detrimental according to Ayurveda. Oh, wow. I didn't know that, you know, when, yeah. when my mom came to Australia for a visit, we went to a, a shop selling honey and they also had a lot of like local produce. And I think one of the things that they had on their shelves was this uh, curcumin powder uh, that is, um, you know, supposedly this super food supplement, you know, and it was so expensive. And um, I think there were like, pages of research that they pasted on the wall and my mom was so taken by it and and she just bought a bottle you know and um you know hearing you now talk about how it has to be taken in a, hol a holistic perspective and a holistic approach makes so much sense you know and previously yeah. you were talking about um yoga as using breath to master the mind it made me think of how this is so scientifically backed up you know because you know if you look at research from the west on how to cure anxiety a lot of it focuses on breathing controlling your breathing to calm the anxiety in your mind so it's very fascinating how all these ancient um, art or ancient forms of knowledge they are actually you know they have been there for centuries and now modern science is catching up Exactly. I totally agree. Ayurveda has always said the mind and body are very closely integrated. I would love to know more about Thali, you know, because Thali is such a big part of Indian cooking. And I know that it's a very, very traditional meal for many Indian families in Singapore. And I know that it has its roots in Ayurveda. So can you tell me more about that? Sure. So Ayurveda talks about six tastes. All of us should have a TCM as five days. The six days is sweet, sour, salty, bitter, pungent, astringent. Mm -hmm. And in this order, sweet, sour, salty, bitter, pungent, astringent, it's from anabolic to catabolic, mm -hmm. from nourishing to cleansing. Mm -hmm. 
So you need all these six days in your food. So sweet is nourishing for the tissues. It builds the tissue. It's strengthening. And when we say sweet, we don't mean dessert. Carbohydrate is sweet. Rice is sweet. Lentils is sweet. So they have sweet categories. Potato is sweet, right? So these are sweet. So tali has all these separate uh, items. And if you look at the tali, it, it en encompasses all the six days. So because of these six days, the tissues, the, 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 the uh, tissues, we call them datus, are built, are nourished. All the waste are actually um, removed from the body, mm. right? So you have your anabolic and your catabolic, your nourishing and your cleansing happening at the same time with the six days. And the tali comes from that principle of six days, making sure that you have all six days when you're eating a meal. Oh, that's fascinating. And also the tali is traditionally served on brass, is that right? Yeah, so they have different uh, utensils from gold right up to uh, uh, mud pot, mm -hmm. earthen pot. Yeah. Gold is supposed to be the highest, right? Many people, again, this is the, the wrong concept. Gold is the highest because when you cook in gold prop, uh, utensil, you get all the properties like iron. When you cook in iron, you're getting the iron. You don't need to take iron pills. You get the iron from the cooking, which then gives you enough iron for your body without constipating you, right? So likewise, gold utensil is the highest because it is nourishing for the body and it's good for the brains. And that's why when you look at all the god pictures, so to speak, of the Indian gods, they have the gold hat, not hat, right? It's a gold crown. <laughs> yeah. Showing that gold is good for the brains. So now you see gold is people add gold soon or to the food. Actually, it's nourishing for the brain. But you must process it carefully. Ayurveda has methods of processing. Is that why a lot of Indian sweets have gold leaf on them? Yes, it's nourishing for the brain. But again, it's processed. Now, if you're taking unprocessed one, it'll be little for the body. Mm. So this principle of gold being the top, is meant for the body. That's why they wear gold chain because it's going direct to your blood vessels. The essence is going to the blood vessel, not to take a gold bar and put it in the in your safe box. It does nothing for you. Oh my God. Right? Putting the gold bar in the safe box, maybe monetarily wise, that's why gold was considered a very precious gem because it's for the health, not to put in the safe box and say, I've got 20 golds in there, therefore I'm rich. You're rich monetary wise, but health wise, you're not rich. That's so interesting because, I mean, this is the first time I've ever heard of this. Um, I know in Chinese culture, it's very similar with jade, you know. Uh, my mom would wear jade and she would pass me a piece of jade, you know, when I got married. And she told me, you know, as you wear it, your, your body force will fuse with the jade. So it's very, very similar in concept. It's fascinating. It is. It is. Even the Chinese, if you look at the history of China, they used to sell, get the silver pot. They will cook, they will put water in the silver pot. And one of my friends went to China and got a pure silver kettle. I tell you, Pamelia, when she poured water in that kettle, you keep it, keep it for a few hours and you drink, it tastes so different. So water that is boiled in gold, uh, milk that is boiled in gold vessel versus silver versus brass, they have this gradation. Right, and when you boil something, when you cook in an urban pot, you get all your natural minerals. So Ayurveda's main food is like carbohydrate, protein, and all you get from the food. The minerals you get from the utensils that you cook. So mm. there's that balanced meal there already. Mm. You don't need to go to get separate supplements. 
Yeah, and now in Singaporean households, do many Indians still cook with these traditional cookware or like serve their food on traditional plates and crockery? No, they don't. They've all into gone into glass. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And also now that this information is coming up, they're now selling it as, you know, copper pot and all those. But again, you don't know whether it's really copper. Everything is commercialized but they have added something to it. And people again take it out of context. The copper pot, Ayurveda, there's a lot of company that's done research in it. If you drink water kept in a copper pot for 16 hours, that one reduces bacteria in your body, cleanses, removes bacteria. That's scientifically proven. Copper removes all this. But people buy it and they keep it for so long that actually it's detrimental for your body. You should not have it more than 16 hours, the water. Mm. Right? You should not keep the water in the copper vessel for more than 16 hours. So there are factors to take into consideration. And again, people are taking it silo, which is wrong. Mm. Well, this is so fascinating. I have one last question for you. And this question was completely unplanned. It was just something that came to mind when I was speaking with you. And um, so, you know, we've talked about commercialization, right? We have talked about how uh, yoga has been bastardized. Ayurveda is very misunderstood. Um, I think something that I've heard a lot about, but I'm not sure how valid it is, is chai. So, you know, in the Western world, so many people are selling chai tea, talking about its benefits. Um, What is your take on that? Do you feel that chai is really this wonder drink that everyone has been talking about? You know, Ayurveda says everything is a wonder food. The same wonder food can be poisonous for you if you take it wrongly in the wrong context in the wrong time if your body doesn't uh, doesn't digest it or if your prakriti doesn't fit it. Like one man's meat is another man's poison. So chai, if they make it with milk and some cardamom and all those, you take it, anything you take, like, okay, let's give the same example of yogurt. You know, yogurt has become a big thing, right? Mm. It's a probiotic, it's good. But Ayurveda say yogurt is not something you should consume every day. You should never take it in the morning. You should never take it at night because if you take it in the morning at night, it becomes counterproductive and blocks your channel. It creates more problem for you. You should not heat yogurt. So yogurt is one of the top medicinal food, so to speak, the superfood. But if you take it in the wrong context, in the wrong time, for the wrong constitution, if a person has more earth and water element, they take yogurt, it's not good for them. The same principle applies for chai. Everything is good. Everything is bad. It all depends on what your body, what your individual constitution is, the time of consuming the food, how you process the food, and the most important, can you digest, Mm -hmm. absorb, assimilate that particular external raw material into usable body part without clogging the channels. Mm, wonderful. I think this has been so eye-opening for me and I took so so many notes. It's really <laughs> incredible. Like I really yeah. entered this, this conversation with you not quite knowing what to expect. But, you know, I, I think I left with a lot of gems and I'm definitely more interested to find out more about Ayurveda, um, you know, from a culinary perspective as well as the perspective mm-hmm. of someone who just wants to have, you know, a healthier body in general. Um, sure. so do you have any resources for, for our listeners to check out or, you know, on your website or anything? 
Sure. Actually, you know, I've been so passionate about educating people about this to make sure they have the, the correct information. Um, we've come up with uh, courses, Ayurveda Nutrition, where you learn the principle and you apply it based on your situation, your lifestyle, where you are staying. So, for example, Familia, what you are eating in winter will not be applicable for me in Singapore during summer. Do you understand? So it might become contrary. For you, you will find, oh my God, Basanti, this is great. I love it. But when you tell me I eat it, it won't work for me. So this nutrition program we have come up with, it's now online. People can actually um, um, uh, go online and then uh, sign up for it if they choose to. So it's designed by the Ayurveda Association of Singapore. And it's because most of our clients are also in Taiwan. They just love this class. I've been doing these classes from 2010 in Taiwan. So the classes are conducted in English with Chinese translation. Hmm. They can go and learn online. So we have Ayurveda Foundation Program, followed by Ayurveda Nutrition, and then we are coming up with Ayurveda Yoga Philosophy so that you can understand the principles of real yoga, not the one that's commercialized. So these are all on home study. You can study at your own pace. Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you so much, Basanti, for being so generous with your knowledge. Thank you. I'm happy to educate. That wraps up another episode of the Singapore Noodles podcast. My guest on the show was Vasanti Pillay. And if you're intrigued by Ayurveda, Vasanti is going to be giving a talk for Singapore Heritage Fest this year on the subject of the Ayurvedic diet. Also, just a quick announcement. For those of you who don't know, Singapore Noodles has launched a quarterly food publication called Seasonings in collaboration with Huffy. Our next issue gives you an insider's view to Hungry Ghost Festival food culture and we are currently looking for contributors. So if you have any fond memories of the festival or of the food, please reach out to me via the contact form on sgpnoodles.com. Thank you so much for your support and I'll catch you all next week.